Welcome to the weekend edition of Uptempo Sports 24-7. I am your host, Coach P. Got a lot of things we want to get into with you this weekend. But I need to start this show off and I need to send a shout out to a good friend of mine by the name of Dexter Hansford. His daughter, Dea Hansford, is a sophomore at UMass Lowell. And she is a lacrosse player. She's a very good lacrosse player. Um, She's in her sophomore season. And in her freshman season, she was named to the All East rookie team. She made 16 starts out of 17 games in her freshman season. And they're looking for her to be a major contributor in this season that we are upon now. I just wanted to acknowledge her because Dexter and I have been friends for over 20 years. I had the pleasure of being able to coach Dexter's son, Damani, who played with my son, Xavier, um, when he was seven years old. I coached him up until the point that uh, he got to high school and then Damani, being such a great athlete, um, decided that football was his true love and calling. He focused all his attention into football, was able to receive a scholarship to Air Force um, University. And with that, he is now a pilot um, with the Air Force. So I just wanted to say shout out to the Hansford family. Um, like I said, we've been friends for over 20 years, and I just wanted to acknowledge the good things that his daughter is doing at UMass Lowell. They had two games last week, last Sunday. They were able to get a big victory against Holy Cross in what appeared to be a pretty good shootout. I didn't see the game, but I think the final score was something like 15 to 14. So that was an incredible shootout. And then they had a game this past week against Stonehill, where they just ran away with this game. Dominant offensive performance, uh, dominant defensive performance as well. Uh, Dea is probably one of the best uh, midfielders, I think, on the team. And she had a dominant performance against one of the better scorers for Stonehill. And if not, if I'm not mistaken, I think the final score of this game was something like 21-9. to nine. So as you can see... Um, UMass Lowell is is uh, well on their way to having a very um, competitive and hopefully successful season this year. Um, so I just wanted to give my friend and his family uh, a shout out. So congratulations to them. Um, they have continued to be successful, not only on the field, but in the classroom as well. So we're going to step away f- for a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about Um, what's going on down at Alabama um, with star player Brandon Miller. Um, But you are here live on Uptempo Sports, the weekend edition. We appreciate you tuning in, and we'll be right back.
All right, welcome back to Uptempo Sports 24-7, the weekend edition with Coach P. And I want to get into this story about freshman sensation at Alabama, Brandon Miller. This is more than just basketball here, folks. This young man we know on the biggest stage is leading Alabama to one of the best seasons they've had in their collegiate history. However, some events that have occurred off the court need to be evaluated. On January 15th, there was an incident that occurred with two of athletes at Alabama. And in the midst of this incident, a life was lost. Brandon Miller, according to reports, supplied the handgun that was used in the unfortunate tragedy of 23-year-old Jameer Harris. Apparently, a fight ensued that led up to this tragic event. And so, Darius Miles called Brandon Miller and asked him to bring his gun to the club. Now, according to reports, Brandon Miller was not involved in the shooting from the perspective of he wasn't there when this unfortunate and tragic event occurred. But he is, in my opinion, an accessory to it. Because without his gun, this young woman may still be alive. And the university is standing behind their decision for Brandon Miller to continue to play. This past Wednesday night, Alabama went to South Carolina and won a game in overtime. 78-76, led by their freshman sensation, Brandon Miller, who poured in 41 points. The question that I'm bringing to your attention now is, should Brandon Miller still be allowed to be a part of this team? Should Brandon Miller still be allowed to be a student walking on campus at Alabama? Why is a 18- or 19-year-old basketball player feel the need to have a gun on campus? These are questions we need to ask ourselves. Even if you're not a parent, these are questions you need to ask yourself. Why is a student who's trying to be at a university of higher education, walking around, or feel like he needs to have the presence of a gun 
Why? That's the question. Now, the university is saying that they did a thorough investigation based on them working in conjunction with Alabama Police Department and detectives. This apparently has been going on for four to five weeks. And the decision that Coach Oates made on Wednesday to allow Brandon Miller to play in this game didn't make sense in regards to what he first acknowledged. He first acknowledged that he didn't know all, he didn't have all the information that was necessary for him to make a decision at that time. But according to sources, Alabama has been in a loop of what had been going on during this investigation for five weeks. So Coach Nate Oates should have just said, you know what, at this time I have no comment. I'm going to um, rely on our athletic department and our athletic director to answer and address any questions you have in regards to what our next step will be. But as a coach and as a parent, you have to be responsible for your players from the standpoint of you are in a position of leadership and you have to do, even in a case where they're telling you that this young man was not present at the shooting, that he didn't pull the trigger at the shooting, but it was his weapon that caused this reaction to this tragedy. We have to put life in front of sports. We have to put common sense in front of what we are trying to convince ourselves is the right thing that we're doing. There was nothing right in allowing this young man to play this game on Wednesday night. If Alabama was not the number two team in the country, if Brandon Miller wasn't one of the top players in the country, if Alabama was not a team that could contend for a national championship in basketball, would Brandon Miller still be on his team and would he still be playing? I'm going to sit here and say no to all the above. But because he is a star player, because he probably will be a top five lottery pick this June in the NBA draft, this is the reason why we're presenting this forward to even have this discussion. When are we going to have more respect for human life instead of whether someone can play a sport well. That's what this boils down to. A star athlete over a young lady's life. Am I saying that Brandon Miller should go to jail? That's not my call to make. But is it 
But is he without fault? No, he's not. But he's going to have to deal with that demon inside of him when he looks in the mirror every day, knowing that his reaction caused a transgression of pain and suffering to a family because now their daughter, their sister, their loved one is no longer here. Gun control is way out of hand. There is no control. There are just guns, but there is no control over the guns. And that's the problem. And until we get control over these guns, we're going to continue to have these tragic and unfortunate events to occur. We all love sports. We all love what the game brings in regards to the environment of showcasing young men and young women's talent. But at some point, we have to also understand that there are real life events that are going on. And when those real life events are on display and they lead to a tragic event, we need to deal with that in the appropriate manner. And I don't understand how Alabama's athletic department and coaching staff and athletic director didn't have more empathy for this young lady's family and allow this young man to continue to play. Even if you wanted to sit him out until this investigation was completely over with, I wouldn't have a problem with that. But again, we pushed the button for athletics to take precedent over life. This is not the first time that we've had an incident where a star athlete has done something and they pushed him forward, whether it be in football or basketball, in order for the team's success. And not thinking about what had occurred to change the course of somebody's life or change the course of someone's family. And this is what this situation has done. Now you have two basketball players that are probably going to never see the light of day after the, they're found guilty for this tragedy. And Brandon Miller will continue to live his life, potentially be a first-round draft pick, and go on to have an NBA career. Some type of punishment needs to be given to him as well. Because like I said, if you don't give them the gun, then maybe, just maybe, this young woman is still alive. You supplied the gun. Whether you pulled the trigger, physically pulled the trigger, it doesn't matter. You were a part of why this young lady is no longer with her family. Because you gave them the gun. If these two gentlemen 
had gotten a gun on their own or it was one of their gun, then that's something totally different. But you were the supplier. It's just like in a drug transaction. Just because I wasn't there to watch you overdose doesn't mean that I'm not guilty of why you're no longer here. I supplied you with the drugs. So therefore, in my viewpoint, then you're guilty. The drugs, the drugs, I can't, I can't overdose if I don't have the drugs. So if you were the supplier of the drugs that caused me to overdose, you're guilty of a crime. And in this case, he's guilty of a crime as well. Now, whether Alabama is going to look at this in its totality and do what's right by dismissing this young man from the university, I don't believe they will. Because as far as, like I said, Alabama's concerned, this is by far probably one of the best seasons they've had in their basketball history with an opportunity for them to potentially win a national championship in basketball. They're not going to deplete themselves of the talent that this young man brings to their team. And it's truly, truly unfortunate. But as a head coach, Nate Oates and the athletic director and even the president, you all have to take a look at yourselves because a family lost someone. And you gentlemen have to take a look at yourselves. You're in a seat of leadership. You're not leading if you allow this young man to continue to play. And I know a lot of people are going to sit and say, well, you know, you know, you're, you're judging him or, you know, you're let the let the legal system do what it's supposed to do. Well, the legal system's not doing what it's supposed to do because he's a star player. Again. Did he pull the trigger? No, he did not. But he's an accessory to. A crime. He's an accessory to a murder. Whether they didn't mean to shoot her and somebody else was supposed to be the target, it doesn't matter. You can't take the bullet back. You can't bring her back. So everybody has to pay for this. And that includes, unfortunately, star player Brandon Miller. As a parent, I don't know how you look at this and not feel angry for the family that lost their child. As a parent, how do how do you not feel like that this young man is going to walk free without any repercussions? How do you as an athletic department and a university of higher learning, how do you co-sign or sign off on allowing this to play out with this young man still a part of your university and this young man still playing. What happens on the next level, if he is drafted, which he will be by the NBA, is on the NBA. The NBA is a entertainment business. It's not a place of higher learning. It's a entertainment business. They're paying for your talents. They're paying, paying for you to entertain the public. Now, will there be some, some, some drawback to that at some point? I'm sure. 
But if this young man gets on the floor, just like he's doing in Alabama, and performs to a high level, all that will get swept underneath the rug. And we know that. But as but as a place of higher learning and as a coach who's supposed to be there to be, in a sense, a father figure, a mentor, someone who is supposed to look out for the well-being of these young men, you allowing this situation to occur on your watch sends a bad sign to future recruits in regards to their parents. The recruits themselves might not think anything about it. But if I'm a parent and Alabama is coming to recruit my son, I'm not even picking up that phone. I'm not even taking that visit. Because if you can allow something like this to happen, you will allow anything to happen. And there has to be some type of morals. There has to be some type of standards. It has to be a sense of responsibility that the, not only the university should be administering, but the parents of this young man should be as well. They should be saying, we need to pull our son off the team. That we need to figure out what the next step we can do in order to honor this young woman who lost her life as a result of our son having involvement. That's the thing. People acting like he didn't have any involvement, but he did. Because, again, it's his gun that's involved in the tragedy of this young lady no longer being a part of her family because he supplied the weapon. And you all can sugarcoat this. You can you can you can try to change this however you want to make yourselves feel better about it at Alabama. But at the end of the day, it's not going to change the outcome because this young lady is not coming back to her family. And that's what's unfortunate. And it seems as though once again, as much as I love sports, as much as I love athletics, but it seems like once again, our responsibility and our focus is not where it should be, which is on the tragedy and the loss of a human life. I hope that Alabama at some point gets a conscience. I hope at some point Brandon Miller gets a conscience or his family gets a conscience and they do what's right and have this young man step away from this situation. And if nothing else, Maybe when he gets to the pros, maybe he, when he's making some money, maybe he puts a scholarship in the name of this young lady. Does that bring her back? No. But at least the family would know that he has empathy for what occurred and we can go from there. Let's take another little break. And uh, when we come back, we want to talk about um, Eric Bieniemy getting the opportunity to be that guy at the head of an offense and see where that takes him with the Washington Commanders. You're tuning in to Uptempo Sports 24-7. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. La, 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 wait till I give my money right. I had a dream I could buy my way to heaven. When I woke, I spent that on a necklace. Told God I'll be back in a second. Man, it's so hard not to act reckless. 
to home, much is given, much is tested. Get arrested, guess until he get the message. I feel the pressure under more scrutiny. And what I do, act more stupidly. All right, we're back. We're back here on Uptempo Sports, the weekend edition. Thank you for joining us. And we want to talk about the NFL a little bit and talk about Eric Bieniemy accepting the offensive coordinator position with the Washington Commanders. And I know everybody was saying like, well, why would he take this job when he already was an offensive coordinator with the Kansas City Chiefs? Well, apparently, Eric Bieniemy is not getting a lot of credit for the things that the offense has done around Patrick Mahomes. And we know that Patrick Mahomes is such a great talent, maybe one of the talent, most talented quarterbacks we've ever seen. But I think there has to be a sense of acknowledgement that Eric Bieniemy has done his part too. We know Andy Reid is a offensive genius. We know Andy Reid bought in Eric Bieniemy. So I don't think he just bought him in to be a figurehead. I think he bought him in because he saw some talent and saw that Bieniemy could bring something to this offense. Now, whether he is the play caller that Andy Reid is, maybe not at this stage of where he is in his career, but it does not lessen what he has done and the accomplishments that he's made. They've been to two Super Bowls. They've been to three Super Bowls. I'm sorry. Three Super Bowls in four years, and they've won two. Eric Bieniemy's been a part of that staff. He has the title as being the offensive coordinator, so he's done something right to earn the opportunity not only to get the acknowledgement as the OC, but he's also earned the opportunity to have at least been given a chance to be a head coach. Now, everybody sits and says, well, you know, when are we going to stop looking at color when we start talking about these positions in the NFL? Honestly speaking, from as a black man, I don't know if we'll ever stop looking at color. And that's that's the downfall of our society because Eric Bieniemy's interviewed for six or seven different jobs and he hasn't gotten one. But you've given jobs to a guy who was a high school quarterback coach, the guy who was the coach for the Cleveland Browns, he was a high school quarterback coach. He never was an OC. He never was an offensive uh, coordinator in college. He was a high school quarterback coach. And they gave him a head coaching job in Cleveland. See how that worked out. You had many other examples of people getting jobs and they have less qualifications than Eric Bieniemy. I mean, Nathaniel Hackett, who we saw what he did in Denver this past season, and we're going to talk about Russell Wilson and all the drama with him. But you saw Nathaniel Hackett get a head coaching job. Is that because he was with one of the greatest talents in the NFL, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay? Because apparently he didn't seem as though he had any clue to how to be a head coach when he took on that job in Denver this past season. Now, is that all on Nathaniel Hackett? I'm not going to sit here and point the finger because I don't know what was going on behind closed doors in that organization. But just on the surface, he made a lot of mistakes. And he's a first-time head coach. And that's what I'm saying is that the NFL is willing to give some of these guys, look at what just happened 
this past hirings. Look at Arizona hiring a first-time head coach. Look at the Indianapolis Colts hiring a first-time head coach. Both of these guys were assistants, though. They were assistant coaches on the staff of the Philadelphia Eagles. So we will say they had some coaching experience. But so has Eric Bieniemy, And he's got more coaching experience than both of these two gentlemen that got head coaching jobs. So there's something wrong with this picture. And I don't know how Eric Bieniemy interviews, but you can't tell me that the last two years when this gentleman has interviewed that he has flopped in every interview process. Because what happens is when you interview, hopefully you get better and you understand the dynamics of what you need to do when you align yourself in front of an organization to be the face of that organization from the standpoint of the guy on the sidelines. I'm not talking about in regards to any player, but I'm talking about the guy who is going to be a part C OO on the sidelines. So you would think that after multiple interviews with different teams, that he would learn the way of what he needed to do to be that guy. You can't convince me that he just was a complete failure at every landing spot for a potential head coaching position. I'm not, I'm not buying that. And you can't convince me that all these other guys that are getting opportunities are just that more savvy and that great of interviewers that that's, this is why they're getting these opportunities. I'm not believing that. And I'm not even a Washington Commanders fan. And anybody that listens to my show, you all know I'm a Cowboy fan. So I could really care less, big picture-wise, who they bring into their organization from a, from a managerial standpoint or from a player standpoint. But because I am a black man looking for opportunities as well in, in, in sports, I understand the frustration that Eric Bieniemy must be experiencing. And he's on a whole nother level than I am because he was a successful college player. He played in the league. He played in the NFL. He was a Heisman Trophy candidate when he was in college. He was a really, really good running back at the University of Colorado. So we're talking about he has climbed this ladder. He's, he's like I said, he's been a, a, a college star. He went into the NFL. He played several years in NFL. He was good. Then he bumped himself up into coaching, got into coaching. So it's not like he's coming in here. He has no level of experience. So for him to keep getting denied the opportunity to be that COO, to be that face of an organization from a coaching perspective is just not right. It's deplorable. And for them to always keep making these excuses why black coaches don't get the same kind of treatment that white coaches do, it's, 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 it's frustrating and it's really ignorant. So I'm I'm wishing that Eric Bieniemy does well in Washington. So this will be a platform for him to be able to get to that next level to become a head coach. Now, do I want him to be successful when he plays my Cowboys? No, let's not get it twisted here. But all jokes aside, I want to see him do well. I want to see him see what he does because... The Commanders, although I'm I'm not a fan, they have talent. 
they have talent on their offense. And so if they get the right quarterback, I don't know if Sam Howell is going to be that guy, but if they get the right quarterback, I mean, they have Terry McLaurin. They have Dotson. They have the young running back. They have weapons. It's just a matter of can you get a play caller in here to utilize and put these guys in a position for them to be successful. I think that Eric Bieniemy, now that he can run the show himself, that this is his show, I think that he will be what they need him to be offensively for this team to move forward. I'm wishing him all the success, except when he plays my Cowboys. But like I said, truly, I want to see him get the opportunity to be at the head of the table as a head coach in the NFL. Because just like him, there's so many other qualified head coaches that are of color that do not get the same opportunities. And where we are in our society and where we are in time, we should not still be talking about this. This should still not be a, a subject matter that we're still glossing over and wondering, well, why didn't this person get hired for this position? Why is this person going in and they're telling them that they're not qualified? It just makes no sense. It's ridiculous. And it's redundant. And we need to stop allowing these owners to be able to do what they're doing. It's just, it's, I don't know what more the NFL can do in regards to stripping away draft picks, uh, finding these teams for not doing the proper interview process. I don't know what we can do. I don't know what they can do, but it's just absolutely ridiculous in a league that's 70% black that you don't have at least 50% black in the coaching or upper managerial positions. But I digress. We already told you that we have the combine starting next week. And then right after the combine, we have, of course, free agency period. So now we got rumors out here about players and where they may end up. It was breaking news yesterday. I broke this news probably about two weeks, three weeks ago about Jalen Ramsey. Matter of fact, I know I did after the season was over with. I told you that the likelihood that Jalen Ramsey was going to be a trade piece, the Rams needed to replenish their draft arsenal because they had traded away all their picks so Jalen Ramsey is one of the big pieces that they could trade with his salary with them being over the cap it works out both ways they can trade Jalen Ramsey get maybe a first and a second or two seconds or a second and a third get that number that he was due to make which was about $17 million off their books, and restart this process over again. I believe that the Rams are in rebuild mode. I don't think that they are replenishing. I think they're rebuilding. I think Matt Stafford is done. His history of injuries has caught up to him. I don't think you're going to see him be able to be the guy that he was in their Super Bowl run, and he was even banged up that year. This past season, between... His performance and the injuries, I just don't see them being able to get Matt Stafford back to that run they made with the Super Bowl. And their offensive line is leaky. That's why, again, you trade a player of Jalen Ramsey's talent to try to replenish your draft arsenal 
to rebuild what you lost. So I personally, as a Cowboy fan, would love to have Jalen Ramsey. I wanted Jalen Ramsey when he was available in 2016, but they took Zeke. Couldn't argue with that at that particular point because Zeke was a beast coming out of Ohio State. But I'm a big Florida State fan, and Jalen Ramsey was that guy that year. So I know that Dallas is probably not going to dip their feet in the water to go after Jalen Ramsey because they are at the point where they're going to have to pay uh, digs. So I think that that's going to have them push back from going into that deep water to go after Jalen. But if you put Jalen and Diggs together, you probably have the best pair of corners in the league and they're still young. And I would love to see this matchup because that would only enhance that pass rush led by Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence would only enhance that if you can get someone like Jalen Ramsey on the other side of Trayvon Diggs. But I don't see Jerry going out and being that, that wild card to make that gamble. But we'll see. But it's going to be interesting to see what these teams do once free agency period hits because there's so many players that are still trying to figure out what they're going to do. And one of those players, again, is still Derek Carr, who's still on the market. I know he's already spoken to the Jets. They talked to Frank Reich with the Carolina Panthers, asked him would they bring in uh, Derek Carr. And he gave a politically the politically correct answer, but he wasn't being real. They need a quarterback in Carolina. Um, so they need to keep all options open. And if that includes getting Derek Carr and maybe drafting a quarterback later in the later rounds, there's nothing wrong with that. But they need somebody that can lead their franchise right now. And I still think, although there are some that throw shade at Derek Carr, Derek Carr is a really good quarterback. He's a good quarterback. And, you know, there's there's good quarterbacks and there's great. There's not many great quarterbacks in this league. It's probably four, maybe five. But you still have to have a good quarterback, a quality quarterback. And I do believe that Derek Carr, with the right pieces around him, meaning Coaching and players can be a quarterback that can take you through the playoffs and maybe even to a possible championship if he has the right organization and all the right pieces. But everybody, like I've always said, everybody wants to talk about these quarterbacks being independent. They're not. The, the quarterback position is a dependent position. I don't care how great you are. You still need help from the quarterback position, whether that is a tight end, whether that is a superstar wide receiver, quality running back, but you quality offensive line, but you need help. You cannot do it alone. You need help. Whether your name is Tom Brady, whether your name is um, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, and of course, one five, Patrick Mahomes, those quarterbacks all still need pieces to make them a whole. So we're going to move on from the NFL and want to talk a little bit about the NBA. And what I wanted to discuss was this whole idea of Russell Westbrook changing locker rooms and going over to the Clippers. Do we actually think that this is going to work? They got rid of John Wall and they got rid of Reggie Jackson. And to me, I know John Wall was hurt again. But I think that he was on the men. He wasn't, it wasn't going to be a, 
a long season injury where he wasn't going to be able to come back and compete. I just think that the mentality for John Wall in regards to being a distributor at this point of where he was in his career was something that the Clippers could have used more so than what they're going to get from Westbrook. And I'm not going to throw Westbrook under the bus and say that he didn't get a lot of unnecessary blame with the Lakers because he did. He got a lot of unnecessary blame with the Lakers. But there was a lot of things. to. It was a lot of blame to be passed around to all of them. And it includes AD and LeBron who recruited him there, especially LeBron knowing that Westbrook wasn't a pass-first guard. And so it was mighty amazing to me that LeBron would have gone for a guy like that because he's not a pass-first guard, because he's not a shooter. Westbrook is a scoring guard. He's not a shooter. And that's what L.A., the Lakers, needed was shooters. Now, you might not have to worry about that with the Clippers because they do have a few shooters, but I just don't know if he gives them what they need to run an offense because we do know that Westbrook is high energy, and we also know that he can be a bit temperamental. So if the Clippers are pushing to try to make a run because their two stars, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, are finally healthy at the same time, I don't know if that cog that you put in that wheel with Russell Westbrook is going to be what gets you over the hump. But only time would tell. Now, we knew the Lakers had released Pat Bev. Pat Bev was sent to Minnesota, I believe, and then it was bought out. And so now he's back home. He went back home to Chicago. And not that they don't already have a bevy of guards in Chicago, but for a team that's got young guards like Chicago, Pat Bev may be a positive influence on the bench with those young guards. In regards to with the one thing that we do know is that if Pat Bev is healthy, he may not be the same player that he was four or five years ago. But the one thing that we know is that he still has that competitive fire and he is going to compete. Whether he can compete like he did four or five years ago when he was still pretty good defensively, he's not that guy anymore. But we do know that he has that tenacity and he will bring that fire to the court when he shows up. And speaking of players showing up, the Lakers in transition of the trades that they made look like a team now that maybe can compete. I'm not saying that they're going to be competing for a championship, but they are better suited with the players that they received in the trades that they made to make a legitimate run to the playoffs. Maybe not even have to do the play-in but maybe be able to rise above and get in to the playoffs. A healthy LeBron, a healthy AD, D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, they may have an opportunity to make a little bit of noise. What I like about this Laker team now is they actually have some shooters. They actually have a guard, although D'Angelo Russell is a scoring point guard, he still knows how to get the ball, and put you in a position to make plays. Do I still believe that in the summer, unless Dallas goes all in and gives Kyrie a four or five-year deal, that Kyrie still might not appear in purple and gold? 
I still think there's a legitimate chance that Kyrie ends up in L.A. We've heard a little circulation of rumors that maybe he tries to team back up with Durant in Phoenix. I mean, Chris Paul is up in age. Don't know how many treads that are left on that tire with Chris Paul. But personally, I would much rather see him with LeBron. And I think that that would be a combination that could work for the Lakers moving forward. The 76ers, after All-Star break, had a big game against Memphis. They were down 17. They came all the way back to win this game. Joel Embiid looking like the second coming of Bill Russell. He even compared himself to Bill Russell from the defensive standpoint. He had six blocks in this game, six assists, 27 points, and 18 rebounds. Embiid, we've never questioned Embiid's talent. We've always questioned, can he be available? Can he be healthy when it's time for that run? And if he can stay healthy, Philly may have an opportunity. I don't think that they're built to win a championship, but maybe they're built to get out of the first round of the playoffs. And then, of course, the team that's leading the East, the Boston Celtics, we know about Boston. We know about what they have in that dynamic duel of Jalen Brown and Mr. Jason Tatum, MVP of the 73rd All-Star Game. This dynamic duel now sits in second place behind the great late Kobe Bryant and the great Shaquille O'Neal as the duos to have multiple 30-point games. They sit at nine 30-point games, and Kobe and Shaq sit at 12. They have 12 games where they've scored combined. The, both, the, the two players combined have scored more than 30 points each. And now Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown sit behind that great duo with nine games where they've scored more than 30 points apiece. And if the all-star game of what we saw from these two young men is any indication of what we're going to see these last 22 to 23 games now left in the season and then going into the playoffs, I like Boston's chances. You know that Milwaukee, if long as long as Giannis is healthy, will definitely be at the finish line for competing for the Eastern Conference Finals. I just think right now, Boston is better equipped. I think that Jason Tatum, his the fire, you can see it in him. I think he knows that last year got away from him when they got to the championship against Golden State. I think he is playing like a man on a mission. You know, he's been told by us several times about how he uh, looked up to Kobe, how Kobe was a mentor to him. And so you better believe that he's going to have that Mamba mentality to try to get back to the championship again to represent the East and this time deliver a championship to Boston. So the second half of this season in the NBA is going to be crazy. We're going to see so many players stepping up and the playoffs should be really exciting. I just want to say this real quick about the NBA. And talk about um, Nikola Joker. The Joker himself in Denver. 
I keep hearing people talk about, you know, should he really be deserving of winning the MVP three times because you only have people like Larry Bird and Wilt Chamberlain to win something like that. Folks, what the Joker is doing is unbelievable for a man for his size. You're not talking about a outstanding athlete that's doing these things. You're talking about a guy who, when you watch him, you're trying to figure out how he does this night in and night out. He's on pace with these triple doubles. He's right there. And you have to ask yourself, like, when are we going to stop disrespecting what he's doing? When are we just going to acknowledge that he is an elite basketball player? Now, you know, you hear people say, well, you know, unless he wins a championship, all that, all that means nothing. Yeah, I mean, you you play this game or you think these players play this game not only for the individual accolades and individual awards, but they're playing because they want to capture rings. But it's not all on one player. Michael Jordan didn't win a championship until the pieces came to, to Chicago, until Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, the Paxons, the Kerrs of the world were united with him. And so everybody wants to say, well, you know, if he gets a third MVP, then he should be able to get a championship. But the correlating pieces have to fit and they have to be on the same page. And that's what we have to strive to understand that if they're not on the same page, it doesn't matter what the Joker's doing. It's going to be off or not. And the West is going to be off the chain in regards to the levels of competition. We see Golden State still struggling because of injuries. Yet at some point, Chef is coming back. Steph is coming back. I don't think that they're getting back to the championship, but I can't doubt him because Steph Curry is that guy. I can't doubt him because Klay Thompson, we've seen vintage Klay Thompson. So you can't, and we've seen what Jordan Poole can do. So you can't doubt the champion. The champion is always going to play with a sense of urgency and above what you think they're going to play. So you can't doubt it. But the West is tough. So it's not as if Jokic and the, the, the Nuggets are on some easy path for them to try to get to the Western, not, not, not just to get to the championship, but just to get to the Western Conference Finals. We have to take all that into consideration, folks. Just sit back, get your popcorn ready, because the playoffs are going to be outstanding. So before we close on this weekend edition of Uptempo Sports, just wanted to um, also make an acknowledgement to um, former NBA All-Star Brad Doherty who is now an owner in race car. And he is the first black owner to have his team to win the Daytona 500, which occurred last week. So in the month of Black History Month, we want to salute Brad Doherty and his team of drivers as he becomes the first black owner of a race car team to win the Daytona 500. Salute to Brad Doherty. In closing, just want to talk about the greatness of South Carolina women's basketball. 
Don Staley, the GOAT. The GOAT as a coach. She was a terrific, great player. But what she's doing at South Carolina with this women's basketball team is 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 absolutely insane. We saw how they dismantled the number three team in the country a couple of weeks ago. Matter, matter of fact, Super Bowl Sunday, um, LSU. We saw how they dismantled them. And now they just went down to Tennessee this week. And Tennessee is one of the best teams in the Southeastern Conference. And it looked like that they could push South Carolina in this game in the first half. But South Carolina said, oh, hold up, wait a minute. We are the defending national champions, uh, hold fast. And what turned into a double-digit lead for Tennessee, by the half, it was flipped, and Tennessee lost by double digits. If I'm not mistaken, I think they lost by like 18 points, 18 or 20 points to this South Carolina team. They've been challenged this year. I don't know any, who's going to beat them. If they go into this NCAA tournament and everybody is healthy, I don't know who's going to beat Don Staley and this, and this South Carolina women's team. Between All-American Aaliyah Boston and the play of their guards, I don't know who is going to beat South Carolina. But all I can tell you is that Don Staley is a hell of a coach, and she continues to do an amazing job. And I just wanted to say this, too. We talked about LSU's women and talked about how the weekend when uh, Angel Reese played against South Carolina, she did not play up to the standard that we had seen her all season. Well, since that game, she has been on a tear, averaging double-doubles in every game after that. 25 points, 13 rebounds, 28 points, 17 rebounds, 29 points, 19 rebounds. She has been on a tear. So the Angel Reese that you saw against South Carolina, maybe that was the defense that South Carolina threw at her to cause her to be off of her game. But she has come back like the All-American that she is going to be at season's end. She has come back with a vengeance to show you how talented she is and how great of a player she's been this season and how she has been one of the catalysts for what LSU's women's basketball has been doing to be successful this season along with their coach. So I want to thank you all for tuning in to Uptempo Sports, the weekend edition. We hope everybody has an enjoyable weekend. Stay safe. And until the next, peace.